Sean Woodley, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Um, so just just want to be clear for the listeners, uh, you've been a fan of the Stuff White People Like series that I've been doing, <laughs> and you actually messaged me and volunteered to come on this podcast, and I am so grateful that you did this. Look, I, I know it's hard to find white people to go on to podcasts, so I wanted to serve myself up as tribute, you know, for just to, to, to ensure that white people were getting the platform that uh, they have so lacked for so long, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like in the year 2020, if you're a white person without the without a podcast, that's really suspicious to me. <laughs> like, you know, you know what I mean, though? Like, if you if you're white and you don't have a podcast, I'm like, all right, like, what's wrong? What went wrong? What went wrong in your childhood? You know? <laughs> Do you have a phobia of mics or something, which also sounds like a white person thing? <laughs> yeah, phobias. Uh, yeah. We should add that to the list so you know uh for for people listening for the first time you know for the past couple weeks and for the foreseeable future i am revisiting the 2008 blog stuff white people like woodley were you familiar with this blog when it came out so i wasn't as poisonously online then as i am today i was about 16 i still yet to really like figure out the internet i was mostly like playing games on like mini clip and things like that uh like I was probably a little after stick death. I think that was like my introduction to weird internet. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I think I first came across the blog as a book in like one of my friend's bathrooms, if I recall. Uh, and I think that was sort of my first introduction to it. And then I, I learned of the blog later on. I think I've read it, um, you know, in the last 10 years at some point or gone through, but no, I, I was not super aware of it when it first was, uh, you know, on its first wave. Yeah. So when I sent you the list of write-ups on the blog, uh, what did you think overall going through the list? I thought mostly accurate. Uh, It's, I mean, it was a successful blog turned into a book for a reason. It's, uh, it's pretty on point. I feel like there were like, there's probably way more things you could have put on there, which is, I guess, part of these podcasts is offering more things that could have gone to the blog had the people running it, um, you know, <laughs> wanted to stick with that instead of doing better things with their lives. But yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, there's some things that I, that, that really stood out that are things that I know I actively hate as well. And I, I honestly kind of think you could put something on the list that's like, you know, performatively hating things is probably also a white person thing too. So uh, I, I felt that even while I was reading the mostly accurate list. Wow. So you were getting defensive <laughs> even just reading the list is what you're telling me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's get into this list. And you picked some items that you wanted to speak about. The first one that you picked from the list, expensive sandwiches. So I want to read an excerpt from the blog. It reads, in most cities, if you need to find a cache of white people, get yourself to a sandwich shop. Generally, these places aren't open for dinner, have a panini press, and are famous for their bread. There are always vegan options, and the selection of meats and cheese are strongly European. Sean Woodley, tell me about expensive sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, I like expensive sandwiches. I like sandwiches in general. I don't really discriminate when it comes to price, but I'd certainly end up paying more for sandwiches than I should probably. Um, there's a few, I live in Hamilton and there have been a few sandwich places that have popped up in recent years that kind of, uh, embody all of those things you just said, various meats, European influence, um, a lot of Rubens kicking around. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it, I think it's a very accurate, uh, description for sure. 
what is your like quintessential sandwich? Like, what do you need on your expensive sandwich to justify the cost? So that's that's tough because I, I mean, I don't mind spending quite a bit of money on like a sandwich or like food. I, I you know, especially if it's like a local business, I don't mind supporting a local business. I think that's good. Um, I, I find that you know any sort of classic with like a little bit of a twist on it is usually pretty good. Like, there's a place near my house that does um, like a turkey sandwich with like arugula instead of lettuce. You gotta love arugula. That's uh, that's probably on the list too. <laughs> they, uh, you know, I, I think any sort of Reuben, any sort of like deli meat uh, is, is a really good choice as well. But I also like, will kind of gravitate towards heavier sandwiches a lot of the time too. Like I'll do like a pulled pork for lunch and ruin the rest of my day. Um, I'll do, you know, like a, like a fried chicken sandwich at lunch as well. Uh, you know, I'll eat that any time of day. Uh, I, one of the things I miss most about living in Toronto is PG clucks, which I know you're a fan of. Um, yeah, so I, I I don't like to sort of get stuck with one either. Like I know some people who will go to a sandwich place and get the same thing every single time they go, which I, I don't like doing. I like to mix it up. I like to, to try new things, even if I you know feel like I might not like something as much as the staples. But that's kind of my, my, my game theory when it comes to sandwiches is to try a little bit of everything and uh, you'll probably come across some stuff that you want to go back to. Yeah, so you're not a go-to sandwich guy. Um, you, you like to keep your options open. So basically, you're good with any sandwich as long as it's overpriced and expensive is what you're saying. Well, this is the thing is I eat a lot of expensive sandwiches, even though I acknowledge that some of the very best sandwiches I've ever eaten are cheap sandwiches. Like there's a, a place in Hamilton called uh, Jamaican Patty Shack. It's in the Hamilton Farmer's Market, which I know is also a thing on the list that I think Sarah talked about last week or earlier this week. Um, but there's they have a jerk chicken sandwich that is like my favorite sandwich, and it's $7. And I should, if it is my favorite sandwich, just get that sandwich all the time. But I don't um, because, you know, I, I guess I like to throw my money away on things that are inferior. Um, and even that extends to like, there's like sub places in Hamilton, like a little hole in the wall sub joint where you can get like a $4 assorted sub that leaves you feeling terrible five hours afterwards. But when you eat it, it's, it's wonderful. And like I, that's also a better sandwich a lot of the time than some of these expensive ones. So I, again, there's not really a rhyme or reason to it other than wanting to try some different things, support some local businesses. Although there are like some expensive sandwiches that are kind of better than all of the others that I'll, I will go back to more often than, than, than some of the other ones I try. Yeah, I feel like with sandwiches, um, you know, burgers, you know, you mentioned like a PG Clucks or, um, you know, Burgers Priest. I feel like over the years, especially in the last decade, uh, decade and a half, um, the, the price point for sandwiches and burgers have just been elevated. Yeah. Like they've tacked on like a prestige to it. And, <laughs> you know, if you told me like I would be paying like $12 or $15 for a burger like 10 to 15 years ago, I would have found that notion to be ridiculous. But that's where we're at today. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's all gentrification shit, right? <laughs> it's hey, look at this fancy restaurant that this chef opened up and uh, it's, you know, farm fresh ingredients. I think that's a big thing, too, is like the the ingredients become something that you're paying for, even though that's not something I care about. Like I said, I'll eat a sub from uh, a, a place that with the sign that's like the lights don't work. I don't really care. 
Um, but I do think that's a big part of the appeal and a big part of the, that inflation you see in the price for sure. So give me your Mount Rushmore of expensive sandwiches. Okay, so I have the actual. Not to do free advertising on your podcast, but there are certain locations where there are the best sandwiches that I go to and frequent. Um, there's this barbecue place in in Hamilton, which is like fine as a barbecue place. Like it, it's, I don't think it's quite as embarrassing as like whatever that thing that circulated from Brooklyn a couple years ago was. I remember when everyone dunked on that? Um, like it's a pretty good barbecue place, but they have. Uh, a smoked pork sandwich that's really good. It's $16, but it's really good. So I'll get it sometimes. It's actually like right across. They have a stand in the Hamilton Farmer's Market as well. It's right across from uh, the Jamaican Patty Shack, which again has a $7 jerk chicken sandwich that is incredible. And I'll still go for the smoked pork sometimes. Um, there's a Reuben place in, uh, in Hamilton that opened like last year that has a turkey Reuben, which is really, really good. So I get that quite a bit. Um, and then two from Toronto. One, I'm not sure if you've been here before. There's this uh, torta place called San Cosme in Kensington Market. Uh, it's like Mexican sandwiches. That place kicks ass. And uh, yeah, cu- I think yeah. I've been. Yeah, yeah. I the Cubano there. The Cubano there is one of my favorite sandwiches in the world. Um, so whenever I'm in Kensington for whatever reason, I'll usually stop in there. And then my fourth is. Uh, so you've covered Raptors playoff games, correct? <laughs> yes. So you know how in the playoffs when they don't have a media meal, so they give out uh, like media vouchers for people to go use the concessions uh, instead of get the media meal. Um, and it's like a game typically of how much can I get for this media voucher before I go over the $20 limit or whatever it is. And there's a <laughs> right. shaved turkey sandwich uh, that they have. I think it's called like the Carvery or something douchey like that. Um, and it's like not a necessarily good sandwich and like watching the turkey come out of like the vacuum sealed plastic bag that they boil it in is usually a pretty gross experience but for some reason that sandwich hits pretty hard no matter no matter how gross it looks in the construction process and it's probably just because it's free <laughs> but i will go for that one because i have the voucher and uh that that one is on my mount rushmore as well it's it's again it's just i think it's just turkey with some like spicy mayonnaise (laughs) and that's it but it usually hits the spot pretty well yeah you know speaking of inflated prices you know love a love a good stadium sandwich that is somehow just five dollars more expensive (laughs) than the exact same sandwich across the street this is like the hot dog vendor conundrum it's like you can get a hot dog outside the rogers center for three dollars but the minute you walk in it's eight dollars and a tip for everyone for when stadiums are open again you can bring any kind of food into baseball games oh yeah so um always buy your food like go nuts go have a a six-piece meal from popeyes uh and and pick that up and bring it in if you want and and the food voucher thing you know like you mentioned we get these twenty dollar vouchers which really just equates to one sandwich yeah to be honest (laughs) in the arena but i was once i once lost one of the vouchers uh, and and the security lady accused me of trying to run a scam which (laughs) totally sounds like something i would do so i wasn't exactly that angry at her uh for people that know me uh they would agree as well i'm sure you would agree this sounds like a scam that i would run but i genuinely put it in my pocket and didn't know where it went uh Thankfully, after much pleading and begging, uh, she gave me a second voucher. Uh, but to this day, 
uh, I believe that lady still believes that I had two sandwiches that day and I spent $40 <laughs> on food. And I just want to be on the record that that is not true. So next on your list is shorts. So yeah. <laughs> from the blog, after a prolonged cold snap, white people are very excited at the first hint of a warm day, as we saw on King West yesterday. It is their opportunity to go back outside to enjoy nature and thrive in order to get the most possible enjoyment out of these days. White people turn to one of their most trusted allies, shorts. Sean Woodley, when do the shorts come out? I definitely, there were like probably, I mean, maybe every year of high school, I was that guy who was the first person to wear shorts. Uh, like like March fifteenth, it's eighteen degrees, and I'm like, yeah, all right, shorts, here we go. Um, it's a little bit more tame now, I think. Um, and so I, I'm not necessarily the first person, but I am pretty early, and I also will wear shorts, like not even just like gym shorts, just like you know regular casual shorts when I'm at home during the winter, just because I tend to run hot. This is sort of the reason for it all. Like I'm, I'm a pretty hot guy. Uh, I, I sweat quite a bit comparatively, I think. And so like, I feel like I need the, like the reprieve that shorts provide, but I also, there's like a, like a confidence thing to it almost because like in recent years, I like, I feel like every year for the last few years, like half an inch has raised in terms of the length, uh, like, like the length my short goes like, down my leg and so used to be like knee length guy with like cargo shorts in like high school and early university and then um that sort of transitioned into just sort of like straight shorts with no uh, pockets or anything like that and then now it's like i'm pretty much on the borderline of short shorts most of the time now but i think it's because i think it makes me look taller it makes my legs look longer and that's kind of the uh the conceit there i mean i, I don't know if it looks good it feels good though i don't who who knows who's to say i, I i'm more comfort over anything so um i'm okay yeah, being sounds, sounds pointed like... at as like the first guy wearing shorts on a on a not so warm day <laughs> yeah like you're not trying to make a fashion statement this is actually a comfort thing for you it definitely is yeah especially like early in the spring because you have that like weird in-between weather where like if you're walking somewhere and you're not really sure, like, what am I going to feel like at the end of this walk? If I wear pants, is it going to be a little bit too warm? Um, maybe it's not necessarily super warm outside, so it's not conducive to shorts if you were just standing outside. But if you're walking, maybe you wear the shorts. Like, I am, I'm the kind of person who, like, if I could, I would wear shorts to work every day. Like, covering Raptors games in the spring during the playoffs and having to wear pants for professionalism reasons uh is one of my least favorite things i i just want to wear shorts to games because it's so damn hot all the time in the arena on the way to the arena um just like watching the basketball team i like play close games gets me hot i <laughs> it just i need the shorts man <laughs> yeah you know i think i'm with you on that i think there's an appeal to to just not dress up yeah I think there's a very strong desire for that. And, and you you know, you can imagine now during the pandemic, just picture how many people are on Zoom calls and you see their face, but they're like just wearing boxers because you can't see the bottom. Um, well, I've know, literally sure done TV a- hits like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. All right, man. TSN, TSN hit me up, man. I'll go fully dressed if you need. 
Um, if you need a full body video, um, you know, hit me up. Don't don't hit Sean up anymore. No, that is the, um, that's the that's like the white privilege of being in media. It's like I don't even need to wear pants to get an opportunity here. <laughs> oh man, white privilege in media. Is, oh man, no, I'm not gonna say it. I had some I, I had something else to say, but I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to get canceled from the industry just yet. Um, <laughs> so, so I have to ask you, I mean, shorts obviously is paired with patio season, mm. um, which, you know, has been discussed on this podcast. We all know it has been established that there are five seasons, um, patio <laughs> season, uh, and then the four traditional seasons, uh, spring, summer, fall, and winter. How would you rank those five seasons in terms uh, of your favorite? I rank fall one. I think I go winter two spring three summer four patio five i hate patios oh wow so you don't okay so i know patios is not on your list but uh please tell me about your dislike for patios so there's a few things like i said i run hot so i don't really enjoy sitting there and like stewing in my own juices when it's 35 degrees and like beating down i don't find that to be fun or appealing i don't like eating outside either like whenever I go to my parents' house, um, you know, they have a big deck, uh, you know, patios and all that. And I think we're going to get to something to do with the deck later on in today's show as well. Um, but they um, like they always like to eat outside. And I'm just like, can we just eat inside where there's not bugs or like wind blowing our napkins around? Um, so I, I don't like just sort of that experience. Having a beer, fine. But I'm also a person who wears glasses. And like, I, I do have contacts, but I don't like wearing them very much. And so I end up like not having sunglasses most of the time because I'm not about to go get transitions or anything like that. And so I end up kind of just having the sun blaring in my face while I have my glasses on. And it's just like an unpleasant experience. I really, really don't like be like, I, I don't, I can't relate to the people who would line up for a patio. It just doesn't compute to me. I would rather be inside a bar with a TV to watch a sporting event. You typically don't get TVs outside uh, at a lot of bars. It's all of the, the reasons. There's just so many for why I don't like patios. I think they're bullshit. Yeah. Wow. The case against patios. Um, this is the most serious discussion. <laughs> <laughs> that I've had on this podcast. Uh, next on your list, you picked sea salt. Yeah. So from the blog, regardless of how much a white person cooks or how long they have lived in their current home, they all have a tube of sea salt in their pantry. In fact, it is one of the few foodstuffs that white people will actually bring with them when they move. <laughs> this is because sea salt is expensive, and while white people have money, they didn't get that way by throwing away $7 packages of salt Okay, you gotta tell me about sea salt, the use of it, and mm. is it an expensive item? It's not that expensive, I don't think. Um, I, frankly, I, I don't. I usually get it from like Costco or whatever, so I, I think it's like cheaper to get it there, bulk wise. Um, I don't know exactly what it costs like per unit, <laughs> um, but I, I find that. Yeah, it's a little bit more expensive than regular salt, but I also find it just tastes better than regular salt. And it, I think it's supposed to be healthier. I don't really know if it is or not. I, I don't see the logic in that. I guess it's not like super processed, but there's got to be some sort of processing going on. They don't just like put it in the sea and like dry the water out and then there's salt. Like there's something going on there. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily healthier. I just think it tastes a little bit better. Uh, and it, it's it's not that like 
prohibitively expensive. It usually comes in a package with like pepper, and it also comes with like a grinder as well, which I like. So um, that's that's sort of the appeal for me. So you're a big sea salt guy. Yeah, I'm a big like all seasonings guy. Like I cook a lot, and I have like a pretty well stocked spice cupboard, um, and you know fresh herbs and stuff a lot of the time as well. So I like I like to you know contrary to my my parents who I love them, but growing up with them, they they like would not season their food at all, <laughs> and it was uh, it was a problem. And then I like started cooking on my own. And then, you know, I remember there would be times where I was like, oh, yeah, I, I made dinner tonight, mom and dad, when I was still living at home. And I would have like seasoned it properly. And they're like, this is amazing. What did you do to it? I was like, I don't know. I, I put the stuff you're supposed to put in food in. <laughs> and that that, that was, uh, I guess, kind of life changing for them. And, and yeah, so I've always had a pretty robust spice cabinet. And then going from sea salt, like I have other salts, too. <laughs> It's not just sea okay. salt. Like I have a, uh, I have these uh this pink Himalayan sea salt or sorry pink Himalayan rock salt, um which is just it's like a little saltier, so you need to use a little bit less. Um, but that's also with a grinder. And then I also have this thing called fleur de sel, which is I guess a French salt, but it's used for like baking. And so yeah, there's a there's a, a wide array of salts in my cupboard. So how do you find out about these salts? Like, are you on a salt blog or a salt Reddit? How, how are you discovering, um, you know, the the wide world of salts? I, I, I'll go through phases like once or twice a year while I watch like a shit ton of Food Network just because I'm kind of out of anything else to watch. And I'll just put on Food Network and watch it for hours on end while I'm like working and stuff. And like, I guess it's just like osmosis of, you know doing work while also the food network is on then you just kind of hear about all these different spices and whatnot and you're like oh yeah i'll go buy that next time I'm out like they're all there if you go to the grocery store like they're just there with all the other salts it's just they um you know they're not in the big industrial size bag that like uh, a regular uh windsor salt would be is that what the main i don't even know i don't buy the old salt that's how big of a salt douche i am i don't buy like regular iodized processed salt <laughs> Do you think you know how you know how there was like the Pepsi challenge? Mm. Um, do you think if you were blindfolded uh, and you had to taste the different salts, you would be able to tell the difference? That's an interesting one. Uh, probably not. <laughs> I think uh, I think the Fleur de Sel I could tell because it's got like a bit of a grittier consistency. But no, the the other ones probably not. And, and I guess like the the processed one I could probably tell just because it's that is like extremely salty. Uh, so maybe like, but like the rock salts and like the ones that are in the grinders and whatnot, I don't think I could necessarily tell the difference between like sea salt and Himalayan salt. Yeah. yeah also, I, I, I like salt idea. too. Yeah, like, go ahead. No, I like salt too, like with sweet stuff as well. I find like, I know salted caramel was like a big craze uh, pretty recently, but like I find like sea salt and dark chocolate is really good. It's just, it's good for everything. It kind of, I mean, they say it, it's the cliche on the food network, but it brings out flavors. And so I like to have it around for, you know, you you use sea salt, like people use ketchup. Yeah. I I don't use ketchup. So um, that's just my replacement, I guess. (laughs) I I like the story you told too, of introducing your parents to seasoning. So so all of those memes of, you know, uh, white people uh, talking about how, delicious the food is and you know their friends being like all we do is add seasoning those are true oh dude it is it's so unbelievably true 
uh, like again love my parents but they my dad was like would actively tell me not to put salt into things because he's like it's too salty it's unhealthy sodium yeah but like you want to like enjoy your food don't you (laughs) and so yeah we would have like chicken with like very minimal seasoning at all just kind of looking like a wet uh, white lump more, more than anything um which thankfully i've uh i've graduated past yeah so your ideal day is uh, a 16 dollar reuben sandwich mm-hmm. uh with some sea salt sprinkled on and you know where while wearing some like five inch shorts with like a sea salt chocolate chip cookie uh as dessert yeah damn yeah yeah and <laughs> and with a cup of tea too which is next on your list you yeah. picked uh tea from this list um uh, from the blog it is a known fact that white people consume on average 25 different teas in a different year uh <laughs> and now people are into green tea chamomile chai white tea red tea jasmine tea oolong tea black tea orange pico and other specialty blends there are even stores and websites devoting to sending white people all sorts of teas um are you the people in uh what's that what's that place david david's teas or something <laughs> like there's all these different places uh what's your what's your relationship with tea yeah so i typically will go with sort of the, the the more basic stuff like my favorite tea is like a peppermint or or a green tea uh especially like after like a heavy meal or something like that after an expensive sandwich i'll have uh like a peppermint tea but i i also kind of like like fruitier teas as well. Like I like a blueberry tea or, or anything like that with some sort of berry elements. And yeah, David's tea has a lot of that. And, you know, I think in, in keeping with the theme of this, I don't think I've ever seen a non-white person in a David's tea. (laughs) (laughs) Do they serve bubble tea in there by any chance? They do not. They do not. I will say like the David's tea thing is like a little absurd. It, you go in. Have you been to one before? Been to one before? No, but I've 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 walked by a lot. So tell yeah. me about the David's tea experience. Okay, so you walk into a David's tea, and they have like all this sort of very expensive teaware that you can buy. So there's like these little uh, like steeping pouches, uh, these little like metal balls you can put your your tea into to put into your into your teacup which i it just just use the tea bag man um there's like loose leaf teas they have uh like mugs and tumblers and stuff like that as well they'll have like little kits like seasonal kits so if it's around like say christmas they'll have like their set of all their like christmas time teas uh you know there's like some with like candy cane flavors some with more sort of just like you know pepperminty or like deep wintry flavors um and then you go to the front counter and behind the cashiers is an entire wall of different flavors of tea, all color coded by like caffeine free, black, berry, green, healthy, uh, you know, detox, stuff like that. And it's it's like overwhelming. It's I would imagine that it's similar to someone who's like not a craft beer person going into a craft brewery and seeing like 50 beers on tap and deciding what the hell am I supposed to try here? Um, so I typically just have like a couple of things I say I like that they're like, Hey, what do you want? I'm like, well, I like uh, peppermint stuff and I like berries and you know, maybe some like, uh, something a, a little bit more like spice, like chai related or something like that. Um, and so I can narrow it down quickly like that, but the wall of tea is, uh, is a monstrosity. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, tea is kind of like, the OG cultural appropriation, right? <laughs> <It's> like, 
I mean, uh, we can do 10 Mount Rushmore's on that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it obviously, like, it originates in, like, Far East Asia, uh, I guess. You know, that's sort of where tea culture seems to be, like, the most, like, it's not something people talk about. It's just, yeah, we drink tea. It's not a big fucking deal. Whereas, like, the English then go and raid the East, bring tea back. And then they're like, oh, now tea is our thing and we have tea time and all this stuff. And they've made it into this sort of like high class bullshit thing. And then now it's kind of migrated to North America where it's just like, you know, classic consumerism over the top. Here are 10,000 teas. I dare you to try to find one that you like when a lot of the time it is just like, give me a simple green tea. I, that, that's that's what I want. Maybe a little bit of honey in it. <laughs> so I think it's... uh. I think it very much belongs on this list for that reason. No, I think that's a really great point. And, you know, I think it just all relates back to kind of like what wine is. Like, you know, like wine pairings and people, you know, wanting to, you know, understand all these different types of wines. Like it it can't just be, you know, I I like red wine or or I like white wine. Like it has to be um, an understanding of the specific wines that you drink. And, and I think tea is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a huge part. I mean, it's a huge part of my life. You know, I remember, you know, growing up just with families and stuff like, you know, part of the routine after you have meals is, you know, you get together and you just pour tea mm-hmm. and, you know, you would just have like hour long conversations, um, you know, with family and, and things like that. But, you know, I guess I got to check out a David's tea just out of curiosity. <laughs> I mean, that's, um, the thing so. about David's tea, too, is it's kind of almost at the point of like Starbucks in terms of people turning into like content. Like, here's my selfie <laughs> with my David's tea. Uh, so basic. <laughs> so David's tea. So you're saying David's tea has got a pretty strong brand right now. They like, do. People yeah. are repping the brand. I can't really even think of like other tea conglomerates like there are some other ones that like you'll find in the grocery store and i know there are some you can order like online and whatnot but like in terms of places that actually have like stores in malls <laughs> i don't think anyone has ascended to the level of david's tea yeah and it probably says something that that's the only place that i can think of um next on your list renovations yeah um from the blog please note that all white people went through a renovation when they were kids This is a good subject to bond over, perhaps a story about how you were embarrassed at a sleepover when a friend went to the bathroom and there was a contractor on the toilet. Um, Renovations. Did you go through renovations at your house as a kid? Yeah. uh, My parents, so we we moved into our house in Oshawa in 1999 and my parents still live there and they have probably redone the inside of the house you know, a couple rooms once, but most of the rooms at least twice and just completely over overhauled it. I mean, when we moved in, it was like the entire house was in like pink wallpaper and like weird shag carpets. So like I understood why <laughs> they did the first renovation, but the, it's just kind of like a never ending, almost like organism is the house where it's just like constant different, you know, alterations. Oh, we're not so happy with this thing. We're going to do that. Oh, now we're going to do the kitchen. Oh, we're going to do the bathroom. Oh, we have to do the bathroom again six years later because your brother flooded the bathroom. Um, (laughs) It's like, it is like very, very much constant. And this also applies uh, my fiance, Alana, her parents like basically just spend their time moving between houses that they then renovate, then sell and then move to a new house. Like I, I, I think, They've lived in like six or seven different houses over the last, um, you know, 12 years or something like that. So 
This is uh, not exclusive to just my parents either. I, 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 you're totally right in that. Like, there's always some sort of renovation going on. I remember for a long time, like my dad started doing the basement one year, and then I think we like ran out of money, <laughs> and so he just like left it unfinished for a while. Like, there's like a big hole in the staircase that uh, just used to be like a wall and was no longer there. So it took some time to you know get that finished up and. Um, yeah, it just constant, constant renovations. I think they're just about done, but now they're onto the outside of the house, which they've also done. Like they, like I mentioned, they have a big deck. Like they had a, an original deck, they completely gutted that, built a new one, built like an outdoor shed slash screened in porch thingy. Um, you know, they just bought a gazebo to put on their uh, deck as well. It, it's just constant. There's something new pretty much every year. So, why do you think? Um, you know, so much renovations happen. Do you think it's a boredom? Um, do you think it's just a, you know, this uh, people just seeking to just improve, um, you know, the place that they live at and it's like a perpetual thing? Uh, what do you think is the main motivation? Yeah, boredom is one. Like you live in the same house for 20 years, you're going to get sick of looking at that wall, I'm sure. Um, but I do think a lot of it is like, I don't know, not to bring everything back to capitalism, but it's like, hey, if I put work into my house now, I can sell it for more later. And like, fair to my dad, he he's put a ton of work into to the house and my mom as well. And they've, you know, increased the value quite a bit. Uh, but I mean, how, who's to say they wouldn't have just done that by inflation? I don't know. Um, it does. It I think like. I don't know this because I don't own a house and won't for a long time because uh, it, it, I feel like the renovations thing is going to be something that doesn't apply to this generation all that much just because people don't have any money to buy a house to begin with. But, um, you know, uh, once you buy it, uh, you kind of just like feel the constant need to keep it up. And then, you know, I mean, upkeep is one thing. And then you realize, oh, this thing is not great. Let's instead of doing the small fix, let's do this enormous fix and, you know, completely change the complexion of the house um that's i there, there's capitalism is <laughs> the answer yeah that that's the answer for everything really <laughs> um you know i do i do enjoy a good home renovation show so you know shout outs love it or list it um <laughs> so next on your list is the idea of soccer mm-hmm. tell me about this one so i like soccer um like i, I it's probably I would rank it like my fourth favorite sport, maybe even third sometimes. But it is something that I almost exclusively follow without watching it very much just because and like I, I'll go through phases, right? Like right now, I'd had this phase at the end of every basketball season. So like in this part of the calendar, the previous year's FIFA game will go on sale and then I'll buy it and I'll play it like incessantly for a couple months because the FIFA games are pretty good. And then I'll like all right i'm ready I've, I've played fifa for two months soccer's coming back in august i can't wait i'm gonna you know watch every game on saturday mornings and i'm gonna get up and watch it and i just forget <laughs> and you know uh, oh yeah i forgot the team i like was playing at 7 a.m i'm not gonna wake up for that that sucks i miss them and i'll see them next week and then i just forget that they're playing next week and so it is constantly convincing myself that this is the year that i really dive fully in and watch the team I like, or even just general soccer games every weekend. I'll still watch them when they're on. And like, I like the champions league cause it's on at convenient times in the middle of the week at like two o'clock, which I'm usually at home just like working or whatever. Um, so that works out pretty well, but 
yeah the like the premier league in particular is the league i'm always telling myself i'm gonna like fully invest in like i do have a team i like tottenham i have a jersey like i i like all of that but it just it never clicks as something that i'm gonna commit to throughout the entire year even though i wish i would because it's a convenient ass sport to watch it's over in two hours like there's lots of cool different competitions which i like there's something to cheer for even if your team isn't going to win the title you have the champions league spots you're facing you're, you're you're fighting for you have um you know the the league cups you have all that stuff that's that's cool but i just i never fully commit to being like a, a soccer guy who wakes up and watches it every single week yeah i think soccer is one of those things it's like the thing on your to-do list that you always say you're gonna do mm-hmm. um but you never fully dive into mm-hmm. like it's a very like low it's like a everyone has a very low commitment level uh, i feel like to want to get into soccer mm-hmm. i feel like i'm the same too i mean I'm, I'm like one of millions of people I always tune in for the world cup and I occasionally will tell myself like, oh, why don't I just make watching like the Premier League just part of my weekly routine? And probably the biggest uh, impediment is having to wake up early. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just waking up early on a Saturday. I know that sounds really basic, but that's really the biggest impediment. Yeah, no, I find myself especially like right now during quarantine too. Like I have been sleeping in because I wake up for morning radio at like 5 a.m. all week. So I'm sleeping till like 1 on on weekends just because i need to catch up and so all the soccer that is back now is done by then <laughs> and, and i've missed it and like during the year like yeah it's you know there's balancing like oh i was you know covering a raptors game and didn't get home till 1 a.m the night before on a friday night and then i'm not gonna wake up to watch the soccer game that's on at 7 a.m or even 10 a.m to and then sometimes you just got other shit to do right it, it's it's convenient in the timing, but also I kind of understand why uh, other sports happen at seven o'clock because that's when you're the least busy. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I, I wish I could because like, I think it's a great sport. I think, you know, it, for entertainment value, I think it's right up there, like next to basketball for me in terms of sports. Like when I do watch it, I like fully enjoy it. And I, 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 I know that it's like a, it, 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 everything appeals to me except for the actual physical act of committing to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone just has like five excuses always when it comes to soccer. Yeah, they wouldn't have otherwise for other sports. Like we have no excuses. Like we find every way to watch basketball. Oh, totally. Yeah, um, and people find people find every way to watch hockey or football. But with soccer, there's always a reason. So outside of these blog entries, uh, you had. You have the most uh, additional items to submit of anyone so oh, far. Do I? Uh, five, five items, which I'm really excited <laughs> about. So, uh, Sean Willie, let's run through them. Okay. First one I have is uh, talking about how spicy your food is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So explain this. Self-explanatory, but explain. Yeah. So I, this isn't really something that I do or suffer with as an affliction because, like, I like spicy food quite a bit. Um, and I, I have no problem with it, but like my family in particular, like if I make something for my family and include just like a little tiny bit of like cayenne or, you know, chili flakes or anything like that, they'll pick up on it instantly. Like a, like a shark smelling water, like blood in the water. And they'll be like, Ooh, this has a kick. Uh, <laughs> that's like the classic refrain is, Ooh, that's got a bit of kick to it. Um, and yeah, it, it becomes just like the conversation piece of the entire meal. If it does have a little bit of kick. <laughs> yeah. I also, are you the type, 
Are you the type that, you know, when you're out to eat at restaurants and, and, you know, sometimes the waiter will warn you that the food is really spicy or ask you how spicy you want the food to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you usually like to kick it, uh, you know, like a notch down or do you like to challenge yourself and go spicier than you think you can handle? Well, so like, it's not even so much that I'm challenging myself as much as that I, I've kind of established like a tolerance, I think, to like pretty spicy stuff. Like if someone at a restaurant gives me a warning, I'll probably think twice um, just because I probably out of my element. Like if I'm at like a, like a, like an Indian place or something like that. And the, and I say, yeah, yeah, I'll get the, I'll get it extra, I'll get it extra hot or whatever. And like, are you sure? <laughs> and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll pause and take a beat. But um, for the most part, no, like I, I think I have a pretty good tolerance and I enjoy it. Like I, I, I like that there is spice in food and I, I like kind of the, the sensation of it. If it's uh if it's really spicy, I will say I one time cried at a wild wing um, <laughs> when I was like 18, 19. Um, Cause this is like certainly in sort of the performative spice era of my life. Definitely. Like I, to, to answer your question more fully, I used to be that guy. Where it's like, oh yeah, crank it up. Let's see what you got for me, and then I would be like a puddle by the end. Um, and so I went to a Wild Wing one time, and you know how they have like the star level or like the the fire level next to each wing flavor. It's like the David's Tea of wing flavors because there's a thousand on the wall. Um, but I uh, I one time got like the hottest one there. It was like a dry rub, which that messed with me quite a bit. I, it just it, it was too much, and I. Uh, I ended up just like tearing up and weeping at the table as I tried to get these down in front of my friends. And that, that humbled me quite a bit, but no, it, now it's just sort of like, I, I know that I can kind of handle it. And, uh, but like watching when I go to like dinner with my parents or something and watching them carefully peruse and, uh Oh, there's a little flame next to that one. I think I'm going to avoid that. That that's always uh, a fun time. <laughs> Yeah, I will say, I just want to get ahead of this narrative in case our mutual friend Vivek is listening. Because last time <laughs> I went to Roti House with him and, you know, I specifically, you know, asked them to make my food very mild mm-hmm. and not spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has been giving me a hard time ever since. So that's all I'm going to speak on on this topic. Um, <laughs> I can't I can't roast anyone for not liking spicy food and be called out as a hypocrite. Uh, what's next on your list? Uh, next on my list is, uh, oh, I had the list up here and I accidentally stepped away. Uh, oh, come on. What did I do? Um, oh, family photos. Was that the next one I had? Yeah. Yeah. Family photos. Family photos. Yeah. <laughs> So, there's just a lot of family photos hanging at your place. At there's your that. Place. It's also like people within your own family. I don't know. The, okay. This, I, I don't know if this is a thing in other cultures. I can't imagine it is because it's incredibly lame. But there were probably like four or five different sets of like extended relatives when I was growing up who would send like holiday cards. And for the holiday card, it would include a picture of them like together. And almost every single time, it's the entire family in these crisp, fresh white T-shirts that they like just bought that day. It's like pretty harrowing stuff if you just look at it out of context. Just like this smiling group of people in white T-shirts with like a weird background behind them. Um, but like this was a pretty common thing. And even like uh, on Alana's side of the family, like her, uh, like you go to her grandparents or her grandma's house and like on her 
uh, on her end table is a photo of her with like Alana's dad and his siblings all in white t-shirts. Like this, it's a weird thing um, that I, I don't, I can't imagine other people do. It's, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> Why do you think there's such an obsession with family photos? Is it just uh, to let people know that, Hey, we're a happy family. Yeah. I think that's like partly it. I think it's, um, you know, it, it's kind of like Instagram culture before Instagram, right? Like, Hey, look at how great and happy my life is uh, because we got the kids to smile for this one picture. Although there are probably a dozen other ones where they're like, why the fuck are you making me wear this white t-shirt? Uh, <laughs> and so there's that, I, I think too, you know, there's like this need to document things and like family gatherings and whatnot. Like this also, there's more informal family photos that take place too. And uh, I know sort of one of the greatest struggles at any gathering of white people is who's going to take the family photo and like what, what are the politics of who is not in the picture because they're taking it? <laughs> and like, is it like someone, is it like someone's girlfriend who you know is not going to be around a long time? Do you just ask if they can take it? Do you get like, the, like um, often my grandma will offer to take pictures she's like i'm in so many other pictures because i'm older than all of you so don't worry about it i'll take one um and it's just like it's a constant struggle as to who's taking the picture it's the another common refrain is oh get in this one come on get in this one put on the timer get in this one um yeah it's a it's a thing it's i don't care for it but it certainly happens at pretty much every gathering i've been to yeah. Next on your list was defending your city's honor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm guilty of this one for sure. Uh, I think it is. And look, I feel like a lot of people probably do this, but it does feel probably like a white person thing. I don't know. It, it's and it, it kind of migrates where you live too, right? Like it's not that, you know, city A is necessarily great. It's just the place that you live and you have to make yourself feel better for living there. <laughs> I think is maybe like the impulse to do it. So like when I lived in Toronto, I was like, Oh, I live in Toronto. I live near Christie Pitts. It's just, I love my neighborhood. It's so wonderful. Look at this. It's great. And then I moved to Hamilton and I'm like, Toronto wasn't that great. I don't miss it at all. Hamilton's great. My rent's cheaper. Look at my neighborhood. There's, there's lots of great restaurants. You can walk everywhere. Um, and you know, and then people will be like, yeah, oh, you're from Hamilton. That's garbage. And then I'll get like defensive about it. Be like, no, no, it's actually good. I swear. <laughs> Um, I, I would extend this to not just defending your cities. Hmm. You know, I feel like it's also just defending uh, the sports teams in your city. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the grander point is, you know, um, you know, turning um, defending something into something that's more toxic. Yeah, yeah. Like, like people will defend something to the point where it just becomes toxic. Like, I always use like the Maple Leafs as an example. Like, you know. Uh, like Leafs fans can uh, can wallow in their misery and say, "Oh, we haven't won a Stanley Cup in like 50 years." But if someone else says it, it's not allowed. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I only were allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk shit about the uh, the problems in Hamilton and you know the disgusting steel mills and the pollution, but you can't. Fuck you. <laughs> right. That 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 is the uh, that is the exact approach. Um, next on your list was EA sports NHL video games. Yeah. Um, so this was like maybe like the biggest sort of center of like social gatherings for me throughout most of university and into, I guess just most universities. So like in first year university, when you're on a floor with a bunch of random people, 
trying to make friends your first instinct is oh who plays video games because that's like an easy thing to do together and everybody has ea sports nhl video games and so you get like very heated with it you you know you, you'll do like i remember a guy who lived on my floor we did like a tandem season one time where we like played together as a team and like made our transactions like together as like a, a front office it was super weird <laughs> but like we were incredibly committed to it and and then as we like advanced on in our nhl playing abilities at one point in the in my fourth year university so like my one group of friends they lived together and they that were kind of the house that we all hung out at and they had uh like nhl 14 or 13 or whatever it was and the like the thing that like defined the first half of our year that year was we did this like super elaborate fantasy draft like offline where we just picked players and then we met, went and made custom teams with like jerseys that we spent too much time making um and like put all these players on the rosters and saved the teams and then played like a full on season against each other instead of going to school i might add like we barely like this this got in the way of like classes and learning like significantly cuz like it was like oh we got to go to their house to play it's, you're you're on the schedule today you got to play your game um and so yeah it was we played like a 30 game season i want to say we played everybody like two or three times we had like an enormous playoffs it got incredibly heated and i feel like there's a lot of white people who like for whom nhl video games are like the 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 beginning and also end of a lot of friendships <laughs> cuz like it got it got pretty got pretty testy at times like there were like almost fights that brought that that, that broke out because of like things like things people did in the game like dirty hits that didn't get called by the computer referees with no control <laughs> but you still got mad about it it was uh it was a lot <laughs> Yeah, that's all I'm saying, man. Everything turns toxic. Yeah, um, no, you're right. <laughs> it just, you know, you bring sports into the equation, and it always turns toxic. Definitely. Um, last on your last on your list, the CFL. Yeah. So I, for the longest time, just did not care about the CFL. Actively thought it was stupid. Um, didn't get it at all. And then I moved to Hamilton and I work at the radio station and we carry the rights for the games. And like, I work at games doing like broadcast booth stuff sometimes. And like, I don't like this, but I've become like a CFL boy ever since I moved to Hamilton. And I, but I, that's also while recognizing that it's like a very, uh, like talking about toxicity in sports, the fandom of the CFL is perhaps the most white collection of people in the entire world. You're thinking like Saskatchewan, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, everyone who attends, like when you go to a Hamilton Tiger Cats game, I would say it's probably like 90% white people. If you're ever seeing like a, a CFL game that like pans the crowd, it, you're probably seeing mostly white people. I don't think it's a necessarily very inclusive uh, sort of fan culture. But I find myself enjoying the games because, like, the product on the field is really good. And, like, I actually stand by this take that, like, the actual style of play in the CFL, the three downs, the bigger field, the, the more open style, is, like, infinitely more entertaining than the NFL. As much as the NFL is, like, better athletes and all that, 
like I think four downs is for cowards now. <laughs> and so I've like fully become indoctrinated into like supporting the CFL while also acknowledging there's like uh, some pretty like uh, not so nice stuff in terms of like the complexion of the fan base and like the attitudes of the, of that fan base. It's like, I don't know if you are familiar with like how Alabama fans are online or like Kentucky fans. It's kind of like that with like Western Canadian CFL team fans. Like they're really, really toxic. They will, um, you know, they're like online, they're, they're, they're just like completely kind of out to lunch and they will say some horribly problematic things. Um, the league has its own sort of history with racism and stuff like that as well, which I don't love, obviously. And it kind of, it'll always keep me from fully becoming like the ultimate CFL, like uh, trumpeter of all its value. But like the game itself, I find to be quite entertaining. And that has been, just by osmosis as moving to Hamilton has just been like, yeah, this, this is what you like now. And I, I don't like it all that much that I do like it, but it's just the way it is, I guess. What's the deal with getting one point if you kick it out of the end zone? I never got that. Yeah, I think it's the, I don't really know why the rule exists, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, there's there's some sort of deterrent, I think, to, um, like it's supposed to deter something. I'm not sure what it's supposed to deter. Uh, like kicking it out of bounds maybe or something like that. But yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's very or, similar. Or like encouraging the other team to like run it out of the end zone. Or yeah, like yeah. Well, yeah, it does encourage the other team to run it out because if they if they catch it in the end zone and they like take a knee, that is one point. So yeah, it probably does encourage more runbacks, which, you know, encourages more concussions if you are, <laughs> have read anything in terms of like con- concussion science in football. Kick returns are like horrible for that stuff and the cfl is like all about kick returns because it's like a longer field and it's a wider field and so there's you know it's certainly i think a little bit more conducive to bad injuries and whatnot in that regard um which again don't love it and the cfl has its own like issues with concussions it's not just the nfl that doesn't really acknowledge that stuff or take it seriously so yeah it's you know like with most sports nowadays i find myself having to compartmentalize like liking the on-court product or on-field product while also thinking the off-court stuff is very gross and this applies even to the nba now yeah no that's a really good point so i've got two i wanted to add to the list uh number one is being a tourist in chinatown um you know uh white people get very excited when they see a fish market and they love to just pose for photos uh, all around <laughs> Chinatown uh, as if they're actually in China. Um, uh, number two is tagging people in online challenges. Oh my um, God. You know, I, I think any, any kind of online challenge that pops up where there it's an ice bucket challenge or recently we saw, uh, people tagging five of their Twitter friends to pledge to oppress racism. Um, if there's a way to tag five people, um, you'll find a way, you know? Yep. Yep. I, uh, yeah, I refuse to take part in those uh, tag things. They're incredibly lame. And maybe this is because I like take myself, while not taking myself seriously online at all, I take the like, putting up the front of not being serious very seriously <laughs> and so i won't partake in any of those like viral so, so you take shit. yeah you take your you take your online facade very seriously exactly yeah yeah i'm okay to fess up to that whatever who cares uh, <laughs> it's all fake anyway um but yeah no that's a that's a really good one shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> Also, well, just like tagging people in like Instagram up. comments, like 
it's if like they see something like, hey look at this thing you might like i don't care <laughs> yeah just um just tagging in general mm-hmm. um uh, white people love a good online tag yeah um well that's it that's it for this episode sean woodley i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight 